Hey guys, just a warning before we get started. There's a moment in today's show where we reference a traumatic event related to suicidal ideation. If you're feeling depressed or want to talk to someone, just know one resource you can call is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Once again, that's 1-800-273-8255. Also, if these subjects are hard for you to listen to, you might want to skip this one. Okay, here's the show. From Gimlet, this is Reply All. I'm Emmanuel Jochi. And I'm joined in the studio today uh, by the one and only Saeed Tijon Thomas. Uh, hey, Saeed, how you doing? Good, man. Good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting by, chilling. You know, <laughs> getting by. Um, <laughs> so Saeed uh, is one of my best friends, but he's also a fantastic producer here at Gimlet. Um, he's produced a lot of interesting shows like Conviction or Uncivil. But the reason that we're talking here today, right, Saeed, is because you're the host of a new show at Gimlet about the ongoing Black Lives Matter protests, and it's called Resistance. Yeah. So it's a show about people refusing to accept things as they are. Right. Like that's a tagline for it. Mm -hmm. But more specifically, it's a show about black and brown people fighting for some kind of change. Right. Yeah. Before I started working on it, I never knew I would be working on something like this. Uh, I never saw myself working on something like this. I just want to say that. And I say this with love because I'm your friend and I will totally explain what I mean by this. But like, (laughs) I did not see you working on this show. (laughs) I, I have to say, and, and the reason the reason I say that <laughs> oh, is because man. this, of course, is a show about the protest movement. Uh-huh. And I don't know, dude, I'm just thinking back to, like, like when the George Floyd protest, like, first began, right? Do you remember that weekend? Uh-huh. Because I remember I tried to talk to you about what was going on, and you wanted absolutely no part of it. Like, you did not want to talk about the protest movement at all. Yeah. I was like... Actually, I'm kind of depressed right now with everything that was happening in the world, like with black people getting killed. I just felt like I needed to make like a conscious decision to disengage and take some time for myself and like just not touch any of this shit because it's like it's too much. Yeah. You basically just stopped like looking at anything. Yeah. I had deleted Twitter off my phone um, and I wasn't watching anything. I wasn't really reading anything. Which, you know. Like, that made sense to me because, you know, you were protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. But I also just remember thinking it was going to be, like, futile. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. like, we were talking about what work was going to be like that week. And I just remember realizing, oh, my God, there's about to be a meeting tomorrow at our majority white workplace in which we're going to have to, like, have ideas for stories. And also, at the same time, probably have to, like, attend meetings and talk about everything that's been going on, like, with all of our colleagues. And I just remember I was just like, uh, that is not something I want to do. Yeah, I was also dreading that. <laughs> I wasn't even dreading that meeting. I was just like, that meeting is going to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is why I feel like the next time we talked after that, I was, like, kind of surprised because you called me and were like, hey, so I'm going to start a show that is essentially going to be about the protest movement every week. <laughs> and I was like, why? How did you go from, from, from uh, Emmanuel, I'm not going to talk about this at all, really, to, to that? Yeah, I mean, after a while, I re-downloaded Twitter. And I remember just seeing, like, these headlines about uh, some of the largest protests in the country were being led by, like, teenage girls or, mm-hmm. like, 
people in their early 20s. And that was interesting to me. That was super interesting to me because that was around the age when I protested oh, for, yeah. for the first time ever in my life. Like, I, I feel like I see myself a little bit in this. Like, let's, I kind of want to see what's going on over here. Yeah. Let me just say, I feel like what's so special about resistance is like, we get to see you make this transition, like from not wanting to talk about any of this to being so inside of this movement in an incredibly intimate way. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you, you're with people when they're protesting, but you're also with them, like long after the cameras have left, you're in their homes, you're in their favorite bars, you're chronicling people making all of these life-changing decisions, feeling all of these conflicting emotions of, of joy, of triumph and frustration. You know, you're chronicling people basically as they try to meet the magnitude of this moment with every fiber of their being. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's really special. Um, and so today on Reply All, we're going to feature one of these stories. Uh, it's one that's really stuck with me since I first heard it. Uh, Saeed, do you want to take it from here? I got you. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. So this year I've been following this activist collective, Warriors in the Garden. They're mostly black and brown folks in their 20s who got together during the George Floyd protest this summer. And since then, they've been grinding in New York City. For the past five months, you couldn't really go to a protest without seeing a warrior. And that's because at one point, they were marching every single day. And I had to be real with myself. There was no way I was going to keep up. After their events, I'm always so physically and emotionally drained that I usually just fall asleep on the ride home. And it always takes me a couple days to get myself back together again. But before I can even fully recover, I see a post for another protest against police brutality, another vigil honoring black women, another plan to keep the streets full and the people fighting. The warriors like to say, we've been out here. And that's a fact. But I always wonder, how are they doing this? How have they been able to keep going so hard all summer? So I was talking to one of the warriors about this. His name is Derek Ingram. Sometimes he goes by D-Rec. And his answer was simple. When shit gets to be a little too much, they drink. In Lower East Side, there's this spot that has like $5 margaritas, but they overpour. Derek says on their nights off, they like to get together, find a nice little bar, and just kick it with a few drinks. And he's telling me about this one night in August when they had endless cheap tequila. I had like... A couple of shots, and I had like two or three of those, and I was slammed, slammed, had it fun. Like, we were just like hanging out outside, like we were having a, a blast. They danced, they tried not to talk politics, they failed. But the point is, they got to finally chill for once. Derek told me that he drank so much that night that when he got home, he tried to cook a whole steak at three in the morning, which 
who can't relate. And he didn't end up going to bed till around four, but he couldn't really enjoy his sleep because around seven in the morning, he wakes up. What do you hear at 7.15? I knocked at the door, boom, boom, boom. Derek drags himself out of bed to go see who it is. I have like the chain, the deadbolt chain on. I look through my peephole, short white guy. He asked like the address and I tell him my address. And then he asked my name and I told him my name. And he was like, I have a warrant for your arrest. The whole summer, Derek's been protesting alongside the rest of the warriors. They've marched together, they've partied together, and they've poured milk onto each other's pepper-sprayed eyes. And all through that, Derek's seen friends get arrested, and he's seen them beaten by cops. But on today's episode, Derek finds out what it's like when the full force of the NYPD comes right to your front door. When there's no one to link arms with, no one to hide behind when things get violent, what is it like when it's just you against the largest police department in the country? From Gimlet, I'm Saeed T. John Thomas Jr. And this is Resistance, a show about refusing to accept things as they are, even with the hangover. So it's 7 a.m. and there's a cop at Derek's door. And he was like, I have a warrant for your arrest. And I was like, okay, slide it under the door. Derek looks down at the floor for the warrant, but he doesn't see anything. The cop just keeps saying he's there to arrest him. I was hungover, I was fed up, and I'm like, I am not, I'm not dealing with this right now. Maybe they'll just go away. So I went back in bed, called Kiara. I was the first person he actually called. That's Kiara Williams, another member of Warriors in the Garden. She was out with Derek the night before. To have a hangover and deal with what the situation was, was like, are you deadass right now? I told Derek in that moment, tell everyone in the group right now, because this is serious. I woke up because my phone was going off. Buzz, 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 buzz. I hear bing, 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 bing. I was like, wait, what's happening? They were at his crib. You know, when you hear about the police showing up at a black person's door, you know, you think you're, they're there to kill. Some of the warriors start checking their own windows, and they start looking through peepholes to see if the cops are at their houses, too. I was scared for him. I was scared for myself. Aren't they coming to my house next? Like, are they going to knock on my door? Like, how is this going to end? When the rest of the warriors don't see cops at their doors, they start strategizing about how to help Derek. Some of them want to head to his apartment ASAP, but others say, nah, what if the cops are expecting us to do that, and once we show up, they just arrest everybody. Then Chi, from the last episode, comes up with another idea. Chi instantly was like, go live, go live, go live, go live. Everybody said, go live. Document that shit. I mean, if they're banging on your door, lying about a warrant, people need to see it. Derek agrees. So he logs into the Warriors Instagram account, which has a following of over 40,000 people. And he goes live. He's sitting down in his living room right next to his front door. And he's wearing the same clothes he wore the night before. A leather baseball cap, a navy blue button down, and a silver ring that shines whenever he touches his face, trying to figure out what to do. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I like, I, like honestly, I have no idea what I did. So, like, this is crazy. 
He gets on live and, you know, you could just see the stress and panic on his face. What did it look like? Uh, fear. I live by myself. This is scary. Like, time to start your day. That's Alexa, sorry. Good morning. August is National Peach Month. <laughs> That's Alexa. The saying, you're a real peach, comes from the tradition of giving a peach to someone you like. Try it out with a friend. It's sure Shut to up, Alexa. warm and fuzzies. Alexa. Thank you. Fuck. Derek's Alexa still thinks it's a normal Friday. And besides the cop at his door, it could have been a normal Friday. His plan was to sleep in, then spend the rest of the day cleaning his apartment. I was so mad that, like, I had, I was on fucking live, felt like my apartment was dirty. Like, I had a, a sink full of dishes. I smelled like fucking tequila. It's taken Derek a minute to realize that the things that would normally matter on a Friday morning after a night of drinking don't really mean shit right now. But the people watching on live already get that. They're not worried about his dirty dishes. They're worried about the cop at his door. In the comments, his friends tell him to go back to the door and ask for the warrant. Officer? Yes, sir. What's going on? Did you have the warrant? There's probable cause to arrest you right now. And while they were... What's the probable cause, sir? That was developed by a detective from Midtown North. That's part of his investigation. He said, oh, I don't have a warrant, but I have probable cause. And I was like, damn it, here we go. Is there a reason they haven't called me about this investigation? Is it active? Uh, it's active, yes. So ha- assault. The cop says, yes, it's active. It's for an assault. But Derek has no idea what he's talking about. Okay. That's why I'm here. To detain me? You would be arrested, yes. How am I arrested if it's an ongoing investigation and I haven't been charged? Well, to get charged, you have to be arrested. Okay. Sitting back down in front of the camera, Derek takes the cap off a gallon of water and starts chugging it. Derek was sitting at his table, looking stressed. This is Jay, another warrior. He's 46 years old, and he's been protesting since before some of the other members were born. And he usually just stays out the way so the younger folks can lead. But the second he sees Derek in trouble, he knows he has to step in. It sounded like people were banging on his door. That was all I had to see. And at that point, I shut off my phone and... I think I washed up really quickly, just put on whatever I had on and got on a city bike and went up there. And when Jay shows up, he sees that there are way more cops outside than just the one that Derek was talking to. I got there and I was watching the, the gentlemen in the suits coming in and out, in and out of the building. The uniformed officers had not gotten out of their police vehicle yet. It was just uh, plain clothes detectives and maybe people from the warrant squad who were in those unmarked minivans. Jay pulls out his phone, and in the most obvious way he can, he starts filming. And then, before you know it, more police officers were showing up and more cars and more suits were showing up and people in military gear. Jay wants the cops to know that someone is there to watch what they're doing. And he's sending his videos to the group chat. Inside, Derek's looking through his peephole. What the fuck? They came back and they're like hiding down my hallway. And then I looked out my window and like, there was like officers right up there. 
Jesus Christ. Right across from his apartment, there was an officer in a window staring right back at him. They were surrounding him. Literally, they had a black officer at my uh, fire escape. Like, bro, I'm black, you black, come on. Like, I'll make sure nothing happens to you. And I'm like, what? yeah, type shit. And then at another point, he came back and was like, come on, D, come on. I got to pee, let me in. What? He was like, come on, man. He's calling you D. Yeah, like we had some kind of like rapport. Like he was trying to build rapport. And how were you reacting to that? Not at all. I wasn't. I had too much going on. I couldn't even process their like intimidation tactics. Wow. And I thought the black thing was kind of funny. I was like, are you, you really think I'm that dumb that I'm going to, come on, come piss. Yeah. <laughs> we're homies. Yeah, like I got you. At this point, Derek realizes that his parents don't even know what's going on. So he calls his dad. I FaceTime my dad because he doesn't know how to use IG. Mm-hmm. His first reaction was, call the cops. <laughs> I was like, are you serious right now? I was like, you want me to call the police on the police? What are they going to do? Like, he was dead ass. He was like, no, like, bring a captain out. I was like, nah, that's not going to work, man. Oh, man, that's, that's really interesting because, like... My parents are... But, like, that's what... That's what parents tell you to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, wait, something bad's happening? Call the cops. Yeah, I'm like, yep, there's, I'm like, and I'm showing my dad, like, yep, there's three out of my window right now, one in my balcony, couple in the building across the street. He's like, oh my God. So, y'all, officers in the hallway, officers with guns, officer in empty apartments in the building across from me, they're banging on my door. They're literally peeking in my curtains. I had to put up a sheet. Like, there's over 30 officers here. I didn't know what to do at that point. So I felt like I can get riddled with bullets if I open this fucking door. But I was thinking about, fuck it. I'm going to put my body on the line. It's going to make a difference. Like, I'm going to just open this door if they fuck me up. Like, that was a thought, too. Like The thought, the thought of dying yeah, the for the cause. Or getting hurt was definitely a thought briefly. Wow. Where do you think that that came from? Thaddeus. Thaddeus McCarroll was Derek's childhood friend. They grew up together in St. Louis, and they would run around church camp playing pranks together, especially on girls. Derek tells me that Thaddeus was such a goofy kid, he would blow snot bubbles with his nose, which made everyone laugh and disgusted at the same time. He would do that, like, all the time, like, in front of girls we thought were attractive. Like, <laughs> he was doing booger bubbles to girls in middle school. <laughs> Derek and Thaddeus lost touch for a while, but linked up years later after high school. It was 2014, the same year Michael Brown was killed by police in a suburb not too far from where they grew up. And Derek says Thaddeus wasn't really goofy anymore. Now when he and Derek got together, it wasn't to pull pranks. It was to protest. We went to protest together. I remember seeing those huge, like, military trucks driving down streets. Um, And it was really bizarre because this was my home. I knew Ferguson. It's black and middle class. And to see tear gas and smoke and trucks and alarms going off was was insane. And Thaddeus was with me there the whole time. Unfortunately, um... He was struggling with, like, mental illness. A year after the Ferguson protests, in 2015, Thaddeus was at home, 
when he started having an episode. He locked himself in his house with a knife. And so Thaddeus' mom did what Derek's dad had suggested. She called the cops. After a long standoff, Thaddeus opened the door. And he came storming outside, and he was shot several times, um, riddled with bullets. And that's how I, I felt like, I felt like I was barricaded in here. Um, and if I surrendered, that, that I could have, have met that same fate. So yeah, that's, that's why I thought of him. Coming up after the break, a plan to save Derek. What's good, y'all? Welcome back. It's been roughly four hours since the police officer showed up at Derek's door claiming he had a warrant for his arrest. And since then, they still haven't shown him a warrant. They've just been knocking and trying to make him come out so they can arrest him. And a pretty scary scene has started to form outside his apartment building. Patrol cars and vans have pulled up. A chopper is hovering overhead. And there's around 30 officers surrounding Derek's building in Hell's Kitchen. The lawyer's calling me, speaking. Inside, Derek's on the phone with a lawyer. She tells him that since the police don't have a warrant, he can ask them to leave. So he goes back to the door. Officers, can, can you um, return once you have a warrant? Or are you just going to stay here? Because I don't think that's an option, right? We're going to stay here right for, now. For why? You don't have a warrant. You have people working on a warrant? Okay, but until you have a warrant, you don't have a right to be here. You have a right to be here. This isn't a public space. This is a common area of the building. Yeah, it's not a public space. And you're trying to intimidate me and stand outside of my door. Excuse me? Okay. So why don't you just return until you have a warrant? At this point, Derek doesn't even know why they want a warrant or why so many of them have shown up in the first place. All they've told them is that it's for an assault. He tells his lawyer he thinks he's just being targeted for filing complaints against police officers after a protest a few weeks earlier. And this is all a result of me filing CCRB complaints. This is all that is. Because I've never put my, I've never threatened anybody, never put my hands on anybody. And they want me to surrender? Do you think I'm really going to surrender with 50 cops here? Are you crazy? I'm not about to get shot. There might have been hella cops closing in on Derek, but there were tons of people watching him on Instagram too. And at this point, a lot of them had seen enough, and they decided it was time to make a move. Chi was one of those people. He caught the very first train he could from Brooklyn to Manhattan. It was right in between High Street and Fulton Street, and that's like a, under the, from Brooklyn to the city on the, on the A train. From where Chi is, it takes about 40 minutes to get to Derek's apartment. And for 40 minutes, Chi is glued to his phone trying to make sure he doesn't miss a moment of Derek's life. But he can only watch it when he's docked at a station and their cell signal. Every time the train pulls off into the tunnel again, she loses signal and the feed cuts out. 
I thought like each time I was in the tunnel that that was like the moment that they were gonna break through his door um, and like do something to him. I'm a fucking doll. The knocking was getting like crazier. Like they were increasing the the frequency of it and the noise and the strength and everything. Why do you think hostage negotiation is here? Hostage negotiation. Like I'm holding. It's crazy. It's getting crazy. They're peeking into my apartment. This is fucking crazy. I got off the, the train and was running. On the way there, Chi gets a call from another warrior, who tells him that Derek's still inside, but they're not letting anyone near the building. In fact, the street's been blocked off on both sides, but Chi still wants to get close. So he comes up with a plan. Chi stops at a bodega and buys a jug of milk. When he gets to Derek's block, he walks up to one of the cops at the barricade. I said, what's going on here? Um, they were like, there's an incident over here. We're closing the street off. I was like, uh, I'm subletting at like 146, like right over there. Um, I have my milk. I don't want it to get spoiled. And they were like, sorry, sir, blah, 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 blah. And then I like dropped my milk. <laughs> the plan fails. But across the street from Derek's apartment, a small group of protesters have gathered in a park. It's not exactly as close as Chi would like to be, but it's within shouting distance of Derek. Chi runs over there, and he starts getting updates on what they've seen so far. Here's one of the people in the park, John Acosta. What I saw that kind of baffled me, that let me know that, oh shit, they're treating him like a terrorist, was when I seen the canines. When I seen the dogs, I said, yo, they, they got him like he's a fucking terrorist. I remember seeing police officers on the roof remember seeing the helicopters in the sky. This is Marvin Williams, another warrior. I just remember seeing more officers keep coming, more officers keep coming, more officers keep coming. No one knows why they're there. As Derek's friends try to figure out how they can help, they keep their eyes on the cops outside. Back inside, Derek tries to distract himself from what's going on with the perfect song for this moment. Let's play some Pop Smoke, how about that? Pop Smoke sound good. Do I feel safe? No, ma'am. But um, I'll be okay. Alexa, connect to the Bluetooth. Searching. Oh, pop smoke it is. Derek hits a little shimmy in his chair. And he still looks very stressed, but there's a slight smile on his face now. Like he's really trying his best to keep it all together. But things just keep falling apart. Every time I try to make an outgoing call, it's going to the police department. Some sketch stuff going on. Wait, what? Every time I made an outgoing call, it went to the police department. And then my phone completely just froze on the home screen. It wouldn't work. My phone is not working. They're literally fucking A. Is this serious right now? Like, my phone, my Wi-Fi is no longer, like, working well. So I don't know what the fuck that was about. It was scary. 
Other warriors have told me before that they're worried about the police hacking into their phones. But to be honest, I thought they were just being kind of intense about the whole thing. And then we talked to an expert, and he told us it's entirely possible that while the cops were at Derek's house, they could have tapped into his phone using something called a stingray. The stingray is a device that sends out a cell tower signal throughout a certain area. And phones connect to the signal, and from there, cops can access private information you have stored on your phone. And it's highly likely they can pull your messages, your photos, and your contacts. When we contacted them, the NYPD didn't confirm or deny using anything like a stingray at Derrick's. But they wouldn't even be able to tell us if they did. Because in order to get this ex-military tech from the federal government, the NYPD has to sign hella NDAs. Derek was still getting some calls, and he was broadcasting live on his iPad. But it was really starting to feel like the cops were closing in on him. There's dogs. Um, there's dogs. There's dogs. I hear dogs barking. They literally cover my people. They had a battering ram, so all of this stuff on my wall is falling. I hear the pop, pop, pop. Derek, you're the one making this difficult. We're just trying to get you to come outside. Derek, do you understand what I'm saying? Bro, this is... You're the one being hostile right now. I'm not being hostile. I'm calm. I'm calm. I'm very calm, y'all. I am not being hostile. He called me hostile. I am calm. I am chill. Hey, sorry. I think I lost you. Um, hey, Derek? There's no one. Like, they were reading shit off my social media, and it was, like, trying to make me emotional. Derek says the cops started bringing up his grandma the woman who would cook him plantains and collard greens for his birthday, who would show up to surprise him at school to make him feel special. The woman who always told him she'd see him in the morning if it's God's will. She passed away a few years ago. Her name was Dolores. And they were like, what would Dolores think? And then at another point, um, and this was caught on camera, they were like, why don't you be the warrior you say you are? It seemed like the cops were willing to do just about anything to get Derek to come out. And they're allowed to do just about anything. Bang on his door for hours, lie to him, mock him, even bring up his dead grandmother. But no matter how much shit they pull, Derek only has two options. Stay inside or open the door. And as they ramp up the pressure, it's getting harder and harder to know which one to choose. Derek gets back on the phone with one of his lawyers. I'm trying to buy you time here, okay? And um, I'm working on getting you out. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you out there. Ultimately, you're, you're going to do what you feel comfortable with doing, okay? He says, ultimately, Derek has to make the decision. There's a lot going on. Did you hear what I said, Derek? Derek. Eric, could you acknowledge me, please? I'm treating you like a gentleman. Oh, okay. I'm right? so overwhelmed. I'm like a gentleman. Yeah. I just want to get this over with. I'm like, it's too okay. much. It's okay. too much. I hear you. I hear you. One wrong move, they will probably shoot him down. This is Kiara again. 
She's watching on live, and she can see Derek pacing back and forth. She knows that's what he does when he's anxious. And she's worried he's ready to give in. He was on the phone with, like, four different lawyers at the time. And two of them are like, surrender, surrender. So she calls him up. She tells him, I feel like the cops are trying to scare you to come out. I said, Derek, this is what we are fighting against. Surrendering is giving them that power. And I was like, what, what are we fighting for if you surrender? To Kiara, opening the door is not really an option. The way she sees it, the NYPD is trying to send a message. The fact that the cops showed up at one of their doors at 7 in the morning in full force without a warrant, it's not just about scaring Derek. It's to intimidate all protesters. She says to him, this is what we are fighting against. And if you surrender, we are letting them win. Outside, the warriors and their supporters are ramping up the fight. Here's she. If there was a reason for his arrest, they would have arrested him by now. It's been five hours. Where's the warrant? Where's the warrant? Like, what the hell? It's what, noon? You've been here since seven? You're saying you have a warrant and you're not in his apartment yet? There's something deeply wrong with that. They are struggling to get the warrant. This is a waste of taxpayer dollars. It's insane how far they go. They are such shitty people. This is so fucked up. This is so fucked. Where's your warrant? And then at one Where's point, like, warrant? I could hear my friends, I could hear some of the protesters Where's chanting from my windows. Where's, Where's the warrant? warrant? Where's your warrant? Where's your warrant? And it was Chi. And that just, like, encouraged me. This is a waste of money. This is a waste of taxpayer dollars. Absolutely insane. Knowing that his friends were outside supporting him and seeing all the people on live, Derek kind of started to feel safe. I felt protected because there were so many eyes on me. I felt like they're not going to kill me on live. They might hurt me. They might do some fucked up shit, but I feel protected. Like, that's how I felt. I know. Cops kill people in front of an audience all the time. And maybe thinking that you're safe just because your friends are outside and there's people watching on Instagram Live. Maybe that's an irrational thought for someone who's been protesting police brutality all summer. But what was Derek supposed to do? There was nothing rational about dogs at his door, or the chopper overhead, or his street being blocked off. The first thing that made sense to Derek all day was hearing his friends' voices through his window. He had to trust that that would keep him safe. So Derek starts getting ready. Your mom tells you you can't go to the hospital or jail with, like, dirty underwear. I brushed my teeth, took a bath, changed clothes. Like, I was like, I'm going to jail. He heads to the door. I literally have my hands on the door, and I see a message says, don't open it, D-Rex, don't. It's a trick. And I'm thinking, they're just telling me that so I don't open the door. So I'm still probably going to open the door. And then, like, no. I hear cheering outside. I was like, oh shit, like, they are leaving, so I didn't open the door. And you see all these hearts going up on the live, and then I hear, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, oh my God, hello? It's John, Derek, let me the fuck in, bro. And I'm like, oh 
I don't know if they like fucking holding John hostage trying to manipulate me and they recorded his voice. I, I ran, I ran right up. I ran up to see Derek. I was make sure he was good. I was happy as fuck. John came sweating, screaming. He asked if I needed anything. And at the time I was in shock. He was, he was still a little worried because it was there was still a motherfucker in the in the window just watching. Like, I'm like, alright, I was rubbing my balls in his face. Once he something, I got something for you. I'm rubbing my balls and shit, doing stupid shit. I said, I do, baby. I antagonize these motherfuckers. I was like, please check my roof and just look around my building. Like, I don't know if they're still here. Went to the roof. We checked the roof. Roof was cleared. With no warning, no obvious reason, and almost as suddenly as they had shown up, the cops packed up their shit and bounced. Just like that, after more than five hours. You know, like seeing that moment that they left with no explanation, you could see the shame in their, in their faces. There's a part in the Matrix where everyone thinks like, oh man, this impending doom is coming. So they're just like gathered around and before you know it, they realize, oh, we're saved. You know, everything is gonna be okay. And they start like dancing and it's like raining on them and they're dancing and people are just feeling themselves and, they, and you can see the souls and the passion and that's what it felt like. I have not seen that Matrix movie Jay is talking about. It's got to be one of the sequels. But I understand what he's getting at. The people on the live and the people on the streets, they needed this win. It had been over two months of protesting in New York. And the last time they had a major victory was all the way back in June, at the height of the protests, when Governor Andrew Cuomo repealed 50A, making police disciplinary records open to the public for the first time in nearly 40 years. But since then, protesters haven't really gotten much else. They were hoping for a billion-dollar cut to the NYPD's budget, but it didn't really happen in the way they wanted it to. They were calling for an end to qualified immunity to make it easier for people to sue cops, but they weren't heard. Some of the warriors told me that they were starting to have doubts about what protesting can actually change. But then, on a random Friday morning in August, outside an apartment building in Hell's Kitchen, a small group of them got together to stage a protest for one of their own, not knowing if this too would turn out to be another loss. Five hours later, the cops drive off empty-handed and their friend walks out into their arms. It gave them hope again. I don't think anybody expects chanting to solve anything immediately, but in this moment, it, it actually did, right? Like it actually had a direct, immediate result that you saw right there. And that must have felt like really satisfying. Yeah, it was really satisfying. In a summer of L's and pain and violence, it was a win. You know what I mean? And you don't get a lot of wins. We still don't know why they had to fight this fight in the first place and why the NYPD went all out for this one guy. They won't tell us why. But Derek and his lawyer decided that the best thing he could do was just turn himself in. They figured it would be safer. That way, they wouldn't have to worry about if or when the cops might turn up again and what would happen if they did. So the next day, he went with his lawyer to the precinct. Derek was charged with assault of a police officer, 
for allegedly shouting into a cop's ear with a megaphone at a protest. They also charged him with obstructing governmental administration, which basically means getting in the way of a cop doing their job. At first, he was facing up to seven years in prison, but at a recent hearing, one of the charges was downgraded. The prosecutor did leave the door open, though, to bumping the charges back up again. Derek's lawyer thinks it's just more intimidation tactics to keep him from protesting. But because of everything that happened, Derek has even more support than before, from Black Lives Matter and Amnesty International and a whole bunch of celebrities who saw him on live. It seems like what happened was like, they tried to intimidate you and, and it didn't work. What, what it actually did was make you even more entrenched in the movement and made they you a bigger- They gave us leverage to literally bring attention to what they did, which was abusing power, misappropriating funds, and intimidating unarmed Black people. That's literally, that's what this whole movement is about. And that's what they did to me publicly in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. It made them look savage. Saeed Tijon Thomas Jr. He's the host of a new show, Resistance, that I am very much a fan of. You can find this story and others like it right now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in on October 28th to hear their next episode. Trust me, I've heard it. You do not want to miss it. Find out more about the show on their Instagram page at Resistance Show. Fly All is hosted by PJ Vote, Alex Goldman, and me, Emmanuel Jochi. Our show is produced by Shufi Pitamanani, Thea Benin, Damiano Marchetti, Anna Foley, Jessica Young, and Elisa Wang. Our intern is Mohini Madgalka. Our executive producer is Tim Howard. We're mixed by Wit Kwan. Theme song and original music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The story you heard today was produced by Bethel Habte, Wallace Mack, Aaron Randall, Kimmy Regler, Sandra Riano and Sarah McVie. It was edited by Lynn Levy, Lydia Paul Green, and Brendan Klinkenberg, with mixing, scoring, theme, and magic by Bobby Lord and Catherine Anderson. Original compositions by Drea the Vibe Dealer. Fact checking is by Michelle Harris. Special thanks today to Adam Bates, Paul Spring, Livia Rose Johnson, and Joseph Cochran. Resistance's show art is by Darian Burks of the Stuyvesants. Matt Lieber is the happiness you feel when someone you know makes the big time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>